Ephesians chapter 1, where we'll be for, for a while. But I was thinking this week, a big question. And the big question I, I was asking is, how big is God? And how can we answer that question? It says he's eternal. He's omnipresent. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. God is huge. And I don't know if you've ever really stopped to ponder how big and how great God truly is. Do you guys know what the study of God is called? It's called theology. God's study. And when we ask how big he is, it would take some big God study to answer that question. But I want to ponder for a moment as we start out our study today, and I want to remind ourselves of how big God is. The scriptures say this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He spoke the world into existence. But when he created the heavens, I want to stop for a moment and look at the heavens. Uh, Katie May and I, well, I, I bought it, but Katie May and I, we love looking at the stars. And we just bought a telescope. And uh, it, it is a lot of fun. I mean, I love it, but, you know, I'm like, we found Saturn, all right? And we were seeing, like, the rings, and we're like, this is awesome. You know, th that's a planet. Can you imagine that? And I was just in awe that I was through this little invention in this little tube looking at the rings around Saturn. And I'm like, man, that's a long way out there. But it is nothing compared to space. About, uh, I think it was 2006, and I'm sure Steve could probably correct me if I am wrong. But the scriptures say the heavens glorify God, but it should also really humble us. In 2006, the New Horizons spacecraft blasted off to get to Pluto. Have you seen the pictures this last week? They're taking some photos of, of Pluto right now. If we were to do a manned flight to Pluto, why we'd want to go there, I do not know. But... <laughs> At the maximum speed of the Apollo astronauts, it would take 17 years to reach Pluto. Mars seems to be within maybe our limit. But now, if we were to travel to the stars, that is absolutely just a dream. But Pluto is actually near compared to the stars. So if the Sun-Pluto distance were represented by a one-foot ruler, the nearest star would be over a mile away. That's a lot of rulers. You know, and movies mislead us, don't they? They mislead us when it comes to uh, warp speed. Make the jump to light speed. I can't right now. Hit it. Poof. And then Han Solo. Phew. He goes, yeah, you made it. They ignore relativity. And so real interstellar travel is limited by the speed of light, right? By the way, I am not this smart. I am 100% reading this, okay? Just so you know. <laughs> is limited by the speed of light, 186,000 miles, 186,282,000 miles per second. That's fast. Now, if we were going to go to the stars and aim for the nearest star at light speed, well, we'd be disappointed. We'd be disappointed at how slowly the scenery would change. Only after 4.3 years, would Alpha Centauri appear larger than a pinpoint of light? Star hopping within our galaxy, I think we'd be amazed how much empty space there is. 
Then turning out of the plane of the Milky Way, it would take 100,000 years for the full spiral of our galaxy to become visible. As for Earth, if the galaxy were represented as the size of North America, our entire solar system would fit in a coffee cup. Astronomers estimate that there are as many galaxies outside the Milky Way as there are stars in it. The Hubble, taking pictures, has imaged 10,000 galaxies in a cone of space so slim you could cover it with a grain of sand held at arm's length. Integrated over the entire sky, that would mean there are more than 100 billion galaxies in the visible universe, many with more than 100 billion stars each. And according to God's inspired scriptures, God calls them all by name. When we contemplate these things, it's humbling, isn't it? We're small. Can a God of vast, such a vast domain really love us and really care about us? But we need to understand the importance of our theology because the answer is yes. Absolutely yes. You know, when we learn that God is everywhere, it does not mean, it does not mean that part of him is here, part of him is there. A little bit over there. It means he is present. It's not like his love is thinly spread all over the place. No. Omnipresent means that all of God is present at every place at the same time. God is huge. God is big. Why do I say this? We're talking about a big God topic today. And we need to keep that in mind. See, oftentimes our thoughts of God are very, very human. Think of God. Oftentimes what maybe some of you popped right into your head was from a comic strip. An old guy, white beard, robes. That is not God. God is huge and he is big and he chose us. Let's look at a few scriptures that talk about how big God is. By the way, my daughter is now in charge of like typing up the notes and she is a taskmaster. <laughs> I get texts, do you have your notes ready? You have your notes ready? I need them, I need them, I need them. And then we change the office hours. I'm like, Friday doesn't work anymore, huh? No Friday morning? No, I need them now. Take your notes and, and jot down the scriptures. They're kind of right, but as I was really getting everything done, I can't hit everything that was on the note page. I feel like I needed to say that. Sorry, Kelsey, you mad at me now? Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> We have a family rule that I don't bring up the kids and I break it every week. I'm sorry. <laughs> but God is big. And jot down these passages. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. By the way, this is a good thing. Let God be God. Humble yourself before God. He is big. We cannot know his ways. His ways are higher than ours. Psalm 147, 
verses 1 through 5, says this, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. So he cares for people. He determines the number of stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding cannot be measured. His understanding is beyond measure. I read, a week, read this week a quote from A.W. Tozer. I don't know if you've ever read any of his, any of his books. You should, uh, you should. They're fantastic. And he said this, Because God knows all things perfectly, he knows no thing better than any other thing, but all things equally well. He never discovers anything. He is never surprised, never amazed. Now that is 100% opposite of me. I am always discovering something. And most of the time I'm discovering that I'm a knucklehead. You did that wrong, first Brooke. <clears throat> and I get upset with myself. But I am human, and so are you. That does not work. With God does not ever wake up and go, Oh, whoa, didn't notice that. He's never surprised. Do you see his sovereignty? He knows all. He is God. That being said, our lives should be about discovering. Discovering him. Discovering his mercies which are new every morning. Our lives should be used for the purpose of knowing him more and more. We'll never fully comprehend him, yet we will never tire of him. We will marvel in eternity at his eternal power, at his righteousness, at his graciousness, at his beauty, at his glory, and his infinite love towards us as we spend eternity with him. Amazing. Luke 12, verse 7. Even the hairs of our heads are numbered. God is the one in the Bible who is seen as the one who knows everything. Even things that are unknowable to us, and even things that if someone... You ever have your kid ask you a question, and you just like... You're going to be kind to them, but you go, that doesn't matter. I don't know. And I'm trying, I, I'm, this is off the top of my head. I'm just trying to think, but sometimes, Dad, uh, you know, how, how do they get a cup of milk into that slice of cheese that they say, right? Every, you know, the processed cheese, there's a cup of milk in every, uh, every slice. How does that happen? I don't know, and I don't care. <laughs> right? I mean, we sit there, I don't know. If someone was... I, if someone was, hey, 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 Ron, how, we're sitting at, at the beach. How many grains of sand are there? I don't know. God knows. The things that really don't need to be known, he knows. Because he knows all. He knows the clouds. He knows the clouds in the sky. He knows the numbers of sand. He knows the streams. He knows the length of the heavens. Says he measures them. By a span. He knows the number of stars. And I'm spending quite a lot of time on this because we have to understand how big God is. We make him small, we make his salvation small. And so God must be big. 
He must be God. Not our preconceived human ideas of who God is, but who God reveals himself to be within the word of God. Isaiah, turn to Isaiah 40. Awesome passage. And I'd love you all to turn there. We are about to see how big God is in this passage, but I love verse 1. Because this big, mighty God tells the prophet this, comfort, comfort my people. The power of God, the love of God, all who God is brings comfort because he is the sovereign controller. Comfort my people. And then let's just jump down a little bit. Verse 5, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Look at verse 9. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. You see the mightiness and then you see the tenderness of a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. And then we see the mighty God again, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span. Enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales. From the smallest to the largest, God holds it. Dust. Isn't that amazing? Enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure. My house alone, we made a mistake and bought dark furniture. We see dust all the time. God knows. He measures the dust, the smallest particles, and yet he weighs the mountains too. Everest, Whitney, Half Dome. We see the grandeur of the granite mountains here in our own state. Then it says this, who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him counsel? How many of you get advice from anyone? We do, right? Don't do that to God. We do not give counsel to him. Paul even emphasizes that in Romans 11 also. God doesn't take counsel. Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Drive up Highway 1 and remember that verse. Verse 17, all the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. To whom will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for, for its silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will rot. 
he seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Verse 25, to whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and see who created these, who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. And then, have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow faint. He will not grow weary. Yes, we spent some time this morning looking at our big God, and we haven't even scratched the surface of what the scriptures reveal about God. We've hit some highlights, strong highlights, yes? And why do we look at these things? Why remind ourselves of how big God is? Because God is God. God is huge. God is sovereign, perfect, holy, he is just, he is loving, he is eternal, he is all-knowing, all-powerful, always present, he is the awesome creator, and we are the creation. And God elects. God chooses. So we worship him. Because he's big, and this is what God does. In his choosing, he is perfect, and he is just, and he is good, and he is right. He is the king. He is Lord. And as I said earlier, our thoughts of God are too human. We see this and say, no, 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 there must be something different. God, God can't choose. Well, he can, and he does. See, the almighty God we just re read and reminded ourselves about is sovereign in all he does. And Paul tells us his electing of us, his predestined plan of adopting us is a blessing, right? Verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 1, if you want to turn back. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then a blessing even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. You see, remember our big God? This book is his word. It is the God-breathed, inspired word of God. It is truth. What this book says, God says. So we humbly accept the truth that he's revealed to us in the scriptures. And the truth is this, verse four, we have been chosen in him before the foundation of the world. We've been chosen in Christ. And when did this happen? 
before time, before time began, in eternity past. See, God chooses, and this is not a new truth. This isn't a new idea in the scriptures. This is not the first time when Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians, this, this idea, this doctrine is not new. The truth of God choosing a people to display his glory has always happened. The Bible is a book of election. And we see his sovereign choice all over scripture. Think about it. Who did he choose? He chose Abraham, right? To bring blessing to the nations. That's in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. He chose Jacob, the second born. That's a little different, isn't it? God's ways are not our ways. He chose Israel to be a light to the nations. If you want to jot down some scriptures on that, Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8. In Deuteronomy 14, verse 2. Isaiah 42, verses 6 through 8. Then we look at Christ. He chose 12 disciples to bear fruit and to multiply, didn't he? In 1 Corinthians 1, verses 28 through 29, Paul tells us that God chose what is insignificant and despised in the world so that no one can boast in his presence. That's speaking of you and me. God chooses. No one can boast in his presence. There's some other verses you should drop down. Read Romans 9 through 11, the chapters. Acts 13, 48. Titus 1, 1. 1 Peter 1, 1. 2 Peter 1, 10. And many other Verses clearly and straightforwardly show us that God chooses individuals for salvation. And what's awesome is these, believer, these believers include Jews, Gentiles, and as we'll see one day in heaven, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. This is the truth of Scripture. And in our passage today in Ephesians, it makes it clear that in, it is individuals who are chosen who then make up the church. The corporate body of Christ. Redemption, forgiveness, sealing, belief, their individual experiences. We call on people to repent and to believe because our God is Savior. So I have a few thoughts about election from our text that I want to hit today. And we'll see how far we get. And we can always continue next week. The first is this, when it comes to election and predestination, we must admit great mystery. We must admit great, great mystery in the doctrine of election. You see, we see this in verse four, when did this election or choosing occur? Before the foundation of the world. And we see a glimpse of what God was doing prior to creation. Look at verse five of our text, look at verse 10. The passage speaks of God's eternal secret purposes. In our passage states in verse 11 that he works all things according to the decision of his will. We have to admit a mystery here. See, God is God. We are not. Can we know his mind? Can we know anyone's mind other than our own? I'm sure Karen looks at me and goes, you are a mystery. Right? I can try to communicate, but she'll look at me and go, what are you thinking? Actually, my own mind is a mystery to me sometimes. But when it comes to the things of God, 
there's an element that we need to be comfortable with some of the mysterious things. We can't fully understand everything this side of heaven, a verse. We're gonna make a claim like that. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to God. So how does this truth relate to God's love for all people? God's impartiality to human choice. See, our fallen brains have great difficulty comprehending these things. There's much we don't understand, and we admit that if we're honest. There's other things in Scripture we don't fully understand, but we fully believe. A couple examples. Who really knows precisely how the Trinity works? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, is the truth proclaimed and taught throughout Scripture? Absolutely. Even the passage we looked at last week, the passage we are in right now, shows the work of the Father, the work of the Son, the work of the Holy Spirit. All three are present at creation, other scriptures show. Through him, through Jesus, all things were created. Uh, um, Colossians? Thank, yeah, thanks. I do too much off the top of my head, and it could get dangerous. Right? The Trinity. It's, it's somewhat of a mystery, but we fully believe it. We place our faith and we believe what God reveals in his word. Because what God says in his word, God means it. Another question. Who wrote the book of Ephesians? Paul? He was the pen. Yep. God wrote it. Paul wrote it. How's that work? Scripture says men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. No scripture is a point of one man's own interpretation, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. How's that work? None of us, scripture's complete. So we're not experiencing this. We can't go, hey, hey, uh, John. Tell me about being exiled on Patmos and, and being caught up into heaven and then writing the things that you see in Revelation. And then that, I wish we could, because man, that's mind-boggling. But we don't know how that works. But we believe it, right? You better. This is God's word. God breathed. This is true. Be okay with some of the mystery. Jesus, fully God, fully man. We absolutely believe that. Scripture teaches that. Anyone want to tell me how exactly that works, I'm available after. <laughs> but he had to be. Because he was the perfect man to take our sacrifice for sins. And he was God. You know, I love the Bible. These truths, the doctrine of election, predestination, the things that we kind of go about sometimes, I believe are proof that the Bible is God's word. These are God things. Would man come up with this? No. No way. We, we'd make a rule. We'd get laws. We'd say, hey, okay, join the club. You have to do this. You need to be a business owner in town with 
of storefront location, and we would prefer that you give, you know, to charity $1,000, and you're in the club. Pay your dues, you're in. God says, I choose. Wow. I mean, can you imagine if a human was put in charge of that? How would we make that decision? Ridiculous. We would choose poorly. Would man come up with election? The Trinity. Jesus being fully God and fully man. Being dead in your sins. Predestination. You see, these are God things. Allow it to be a God thing. And rejoice in it. Because we're not God. And he is. And that brings comfort. Another thought on election. In this passage, we cannot ignore the other attributes of God that are shown in the passage. In this passage, we see that God is perfectly loving, that he is eternally sovereign, that he is gracious, that he is infinitely wise. That's in verse 8. He can do what he pleases. God chooses, and it does not ever make anything about him inconsistent. In all he does, he is consistent and he is right. An election is an expression of God's love for his children. In love, he predestined us. In love. He is also sovereign. We see God's sovereignty, and that sovereignty is an expression of God's eternal control over all things. Remember, God is not surprised by anything. Look at the language Paul uses. Look at verses 5 and 11. Verse 5, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. Look at verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. He is sovereign. And this was done for his purposes. We see God's grace. God is gracious. God's choosing is an example of or in its expression of grace to sinners. Look at Romans 11 later this week. 2 Timothy 1 verse 9. God says this. God did not choose us based upon anything good in us. Later on as we get into Ephesians, we're going to see something in chapter 2. And it's going to say this. And you are dead in your trespasses and sins. And as much as I really want to jump over there right now and start talking about what it really means to be dead in our sins. Let's just say this. You're dead in your sins. Dead people don't do anything but rot. Return to dust. But God, being rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. This breath entered our lungs. Spiritual breath by the power of the Holy Spirit. And salvation comes. And we'll look at that more deeply. But we add nothing to salvation. We add nothing to God's choosing. If we add 0.1%, I was just talking with a brother this morning, we add anything to it, We can boast. We were smart enough. Our eyes, we're just smarter than that guy over there. I'm saved, you're not, loser. And in our humanists, we would start thinking that way, believe me. In fact, sometimes I think in our self-righteousness, we already do think that way. 
God, I said this last week, God's choosing of us eliminates self. We are nothing. And so we're thankful for this. What an expression of grace to sinners. And God is wise. God's choosing is an expression of his wisdom. But here's a mystery that we must be comfortable with. And the third thought on election. This passage also shows the necessity of personal belief. We must have personal belief in the gospel. Even if all our other questions about man's responsibility are not answered in this passage, we still see this. Man must believe. Look at verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. We believe. Man must believe. We see election... And then faith in this same glorious God-exalting sentence that Paul has written. This passage has election and faith in the same context. Only God can write that sentence. We may not and probably do not fully understand this, but we embrace it and we worship God for it. See, some call this a problem. How do we solve the problem of election and faith? I'm going to give you the answer. It's not our problem. Not our problem. Believe what God says and allow him to harmonize these things together. It is not our problem, and believe me, it is not a problem for God. So we say, all may come. Jesus said, go make disciples of all the nations. Russell Moore said this, God is not some metaphysical airport security screener waving through the secretly approved and sending the rest to a holding tank for questioning. Remember when flying was fun? Sorry, that just came to my mind. You'd get dressed up and mom and dad would say, sit still, they'll give you peanuts and all the soda you want. Now it's like you beg for a little glass, right? Sorry, I'm off topic. (laughs) But we know what air support security is like. And it's not God saying, you here, you here, you here, you here. God is not treating us like puppets made of meat, forcing us along by some whim. Instead, the doctrine of election tells us that all of us who have come to know Christ are here on purpose. So we say to all, come to Jesus. We preach. We make disciples of the nations. Some believe and some don't. We let God work through the Holy Spirit, working through you and into the hearts of others. This truth should make us bold in our proclamation. You see your purpose? Do you see that nothing is an accident? Our God saves people. And he's placed you in your home, and in your neighborhood, and in your job, and in your school. And wherever you go, he has placed you there for a sovereign, God-exalting purpose. So we must share. Remember what Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. 
See, God's election, God's sovereignty, his predetermined plan brings peace. We proclaim and God works. We do what he's called us to do and he works. Can I share as one who shares scripture or for any of us who share the gospel? When you share the gospel, never leave discouraged by the lack of what you would hope would be a result. Because it's up to God and God is pleased. Any of you who have guilt or worry over unsafe friends, unsafe family, and you've shared and you've shared and you've shared, have peace. You are doing what God has asked you to do. And he uses broken vessels and jars of clay to carry a magnificent message. But God is the one who saves. So rest your head on your pillow quietly. And know that he's at work. You can make yourself go insane, can't you? If you thought you were the one, I, I should have said it better. It's God's eternal plan. Here's what's great about it too. God, when he sent Christ to die on the cross, this was set before there was time. And he didn't go, oh, I hope the death of my son works. I hope someone accepts it. This is my last chance. No. God said, I'm doing this work because I chose my people. And he knew us when he sent Jesus. And Jesus knew us while he hung on that cross for me. What assurance, what joy, what peace, what humility we should have at God's sovereign choice. Another thought, our fourth thought is our election is in Christ. We are chosen in the chosen one. Isn't that amazing? Remember the Mount of Transfiguration? A voice comes from the cloud. Man, I, would, I, hope we, I hope we get to see some of these things someday when we're in heaven. But the voice says, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. See, election is always and only in Christ. Our salvation is in Christ alone. God chose to put us in union with Christ. This is why we sang what we sang today, in Christ alone. My hope is found. He is my light. He is my strength. He is my song. What we're saying there is, he is my salvation. Our election is always in Christ. Our fifth thought on election is this. It is humbling. Turn to 1 Corinthians 1. Verse 26, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. I sometimes think Paul wrote this for me. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. 
God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that, for this purpose, that no human being might boast in the presence of God, he is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and our sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This doctrine is a humbling doctrine. It brings humility. This theology, this doctrine should bring these responses. Worship, awe, thankfulness, obedience. And I'm sure more, but those are the ones that came to my mind. Election should never bring anger to anyone. Nor should it bring pride to anyone. It should humble everyone. Arrogance has no place in the discussion of election. None. Zero. See, God is God. We are not. And he chooses. So what is the goal or purpose of this election? Tell you what. We will hit it next week, but I'm going to give you a hint. Holiness and blamelessness. And I can't wait to get further in Ephesians, but this is the awesome truth. We are seeing our position right now, who we are in Christ. We are chosen, but we're chosen for a purpose, to be holy and blameless before him. We're going to get to chapters 4, 5, and 6 and see our practice, how we're supposed to live because of all we have in Christ. And we're going to see some difficult sayings. Walk in a manner worthy of the manner of which you've been called. Be imitators of God, therefore. Put off the old self. Fight a spiritual battle. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another. We'll see how our marriages are supposed to work. We're going to see how we are supposed to be employers and employees. Things that are impossible without the power of God moving within us. But God's grace brings power. We are chosen for a purpose, and the purpose is holiness and to be blameless. And we'll hit on that strongly next week. And then we're also, and I can't wait to get to this too, predestined for what? For adoption. And we'll hit where we are. Who, who are you really? And you'll see you are a child of the king, an heir. And it's awesome. So we look at these verses and we worship God because he chose us to be holy and blameless. Is there a mystery? Absolutely. Let's be comfortable with the mystery. Let's place our faith in Christ and the work God has done. And I, for one, am thankful that he chose because I would not be able, apart from his work, to choose anything right because I was dead in my sins. And so were you. So we worship God. We're going to sing a song and it's an appropriate song. The words are taken pretty much right from, uh, from this passage. So if you will bear with me to, uh, Kels, can you turn this mic, mic off? I'll just leave it on. And then uh, let's sing together. Let's pray. Father, this uh, passage we're in, we could spend our life studying it and digging into it. 
And so, Father, I would pray, Lord, that this would just ignite within us a thankfulness and a passion to worship you. Lord, that we would see how great your mercy is towards us, how great your grace is towards us. Lord, that you chose us is amazing. We deserve absolutely nothing. But yet, you lavished your grace upon us. And even before there was time, you chose us to be your children, to be holy and blameless before you. We thank you for that. Lord, be with us now as we sing and close our time. May your word go with us so that this week it would be hidden within our heart and our hearts and our minds would be focused on you and all we say and all we do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.